So today I want to look at an interesting topic stemming from last week. Picking up from last week, I want us to look at, uh, look in Genesis chapter 4. We left off in Genesis chapter 3 on the topic, be open-minded, they say. And the dangers of open-mindedness without wisdom. And Adam and Eve decided to become open-minded. Their, their eyes were open, but they did this at a time that they did not have wisdom. And wisdom um, comes from the throne of God. And as we looked at last week, there's, there's dangers in trying to acquire so much information without a right relationship with Christ. Um, and sometimes you, you just don't even know what you're taking in. You know, just life in general will give you experiences that give you knowledge of things, right? Both good and evil. Uh, the idea of maturity is that in Christ, um, you understand what to do with all of this information you're taking in, right? All of the good, all of the evil, you know what to do with it. Um, in most cases, we find that Christians um, at some point lack wisdom, we really don't know <laughs> what to do with the information. At some point, you know, you, you, we lack a little wisdom. You know, I would say in the beginning, but in the beginning, we're so eager to love God. They were like, oh, whatever you say. But it's somewhere in this adolescent range of Christianity where we kind of think we figured it out. Plus, we don't really know what we're talking about. And those two things combined. And I could, you, you, you would know if you were there if you ever knew that something was a sin and decided to do it anyway because you knew God would forgive. See, that right there, that, that little fact right there, okay, is evidence of knowledge of good and evil with a lack of wisdom. You know he'll forgive. You also know he gave you free choice. If de facto, you sin. Like, it's, it's fine. I'll be fine. I, I'll ask for forgiveness. And we don't really directly say this in the premeditation stage. We couldn't really get our words to formulate. And I mean, sometimes we get real bold. We, I'm going to just do this. See, sometimes. But most times it's just like this quiet understanding of how we, we've pieced these things together. That he'll forgive. Right? Or, or I love the, the idea that you think, you know, how we think, I can handle the consequences because we have knowledge of the good and the evil. I, I don't, nobody's trying to, this is, I'm just reviewing from last week that we, we feel like we understand all of the consequences that can come with this and we understand all of the good benefits that can come from this. And so we decide only to find out there are some consequences we did not count and there's some benefits that we really hyped up that really weren't that good to begin with. We're sitting over there looking like a fool, living our lives like a fool. Okay, got foolish intentions, foolishness all over us. And we're like, yeah, I'm a Christian. And everybody's like, but are you though? Are you? And they say it so much to you that you begin to think, well, am I? Am I a Christian? I'm like Christian by the Bible standards or Christian by like, if you compare me to everybody else? You know, again, knowledge of good and evil, right? By Bible standards. Now, do I look like Paul and Peter? Mm, not really. But do I look like my friend across the aisle from me? Definitely. Def I'm definitely better than them. And most times. You talk the truth. You say, you say the 
I ain't doing this like the way my sister did it. And I ain't going as far as my brother did it. I, you know, I, ain't, I ain't lost my mind that much until one day you do. And then all that's thrown out the window. Like, how? Then you're looking at it. I know how. I know how you got there. Be open-minded, they say. Uh, last week, we studied the idea of the fall of Adam and Eve and the concept that it appears as if God had every intention for us to be more like trees than beasts. And it's an interesting scripture that Mother Bell found in the midst of our grief and sorrow. Uh, she found a scripture in Job. It talks about where Job is really ranting. He has a prayer of despondence. All right. So it's your title in your book will be is, is Job chapter 14, I believe. It's a prayer of despondence. And it's pretty much Job is suffering with so many problems that he's pretty much, uh, uh, what's the best way? Disconnecting from things. He's, he's feeling despondence is, is sorrow. It's a lack of joy, a lack of hope. And he's praying from a place where he doesn't have courage or hope any longer. And he says, at least trees, if you cut down a tree to a stump, that there's still hope that that tree could sprout again, that it, it could find water in the deepest place of the roots of the tree, and that there's hope that the tree could live again. He's, and he compares it to himself, I don't even have that. I've been cut so low that I feel like it's down to the root of who I am. And in his prayer of despondence, he feels like God is angry with him. Like somehow he's an enemy of God and God is chasing him down and he is very angry because he cannot find in anywhere in his life where things are going well. That is, this is punishment for all of my foolish sins as a child or this is punishment for something. I don't even really know what it is. If you could just tell me what it is I've done wrong, maybe I could write it. But ultimately, you're against me. It's a terrible feeling to feel that God is against you. Now, most of us Bible-thumping believers would know that that's not true according to what we read in Scripture. But as we discussed last week, there's a difference between what you know in your mind and what you truly experience down in your heart. And it is a journey to get the heart and the mind to agree on one thing. And any time that the heart and the mind agree, like we talked about last week, on one thing, fruit comes from that. Anytime your mind agrees and your heart agrees on any one thing, you're going to have fruit. Good fruit or bad fruit, it is designed to produce. Similar, as we talked about on last week, similar to how Eve was the heart of man while Adam proceeded looked to be more of the mind of mankind. These two agreed, they make a baby. Hello, somebody. And you can see this over and over and over and over again. And Satan decided to speak to the heart of mankind, the Eve. The one who holds something inside of her womb and carries it and bears it until the opportune time. That is the heart of mankind. And, and Satan speaks to the heart because it is easy if you speak to the heart to get the mind to respond. But it is very challenging when you speak to the mind to get the heart to respond. You can think something all you want, but uh, I just don't feel. And most of us are dealing with trauma from the past. Hello, somebody that has inculcated our heart. So even what we know about God is not actually becoming fruit in our lives because there's something in our heart that is uniquely different than our understanding. 
So the kingdom of God came inside of man, in the heart of man, through the love of Christ. This means that the heart can now bypass the lack of knowledge and understanding of the mind and still produce and hold a seed. It can still hold it. When Mary was conce uh, conceived Christ, when the Holy Spirit gave her the word that you will conceive the Messiah, she held it in her heart. Because in the mind, I would have been like, I have lost my mind. I have gone crazy. How is this possible? Okay, you cannot have a baby unless two people come together. Oh, my goodness, I'm about to have the devil, baby, because this just doesn't make no sense. If you put it in your mind. But the Holy Spirit spoke it to her, and she hid it in her heart at a place where the mental understanding is not necessary. And she held it there until the Holy Spirit came upon her. Right? And the kingdom of God is now given, fast forward to the New Testament, to all of man in our hearts first. And the struggle, Paul says, oh, wretched man that I am, is that the thing that I will to do, I don't do. And the things that I don't want to do, the, the struggle here is that there's something in my heart that I really want to do. But with my mind, I have to serve the law. Jesus. There's a struggle inside of me between trying to get what I really want to see in my life. It's not meeting with my understanding and knowledge. And Job is suffering from that. What he knows about God is now all of a sudden being jolted by what he's experiencing about God. There's his mind just has to contemplate reality. You took my kids. You took my house. You took my life. I'm sick. You know, my friends are of no help. You know, and these are real events. To not identify with these real events and to say that they're not what they are is to be schizophrenic. And most believers fall on that side because they cannot handle the truth. Hello, somebody. They don't know how to take what they understand that's happening and what that means in their heart. And so they just live completely spiritualized and are no earthly good. When other people, such as your pastor, try to exemplify and to show, then all of a sudden, you know, it can be used against us. Well, pastor, maybe it's just your grief. That's why you think that we out here sinning. No, it's, it's not my grief. You was sinning. It came out. It wasn't even my grief. It was you. But these events can be used against you because you try to authentically show, hello, somebody, that there is a difference and a work between getting what you understand about God to impact the deepest places that you have to live and reside. I know my mom and, and my aunts and my, my uncles, and I know they're going to be with the Lord. I know they're there. But in my mind, she ain't here. And this produces problems. Hello, somebody. Now, how do I get my understanding that is in my, the knowledge that I have in my heart to affect the viewpoint that I have about the world is the goal. It's a lofty goal. It's frightening because in order to do something where what you feel in your heart that you're not experiencing in your, in your life, you're not registering that, the Bible will call it faith. It can be frightening because you don't see that. You're not familiar with what you're hoping to accomplish. I don't really know how this is going to work. I, I really don't know what kind of person I will be at the end of this. I really don't understand how I would look down the road. I, and this becomes frightening and most people don't even go. Hello? I want to look today. That was just review. Amen. I want to look today. At the reason why um, we have a struggle between the heart and mind 
agreeing on the things of God. Now, bear in mind, the heart and mind can agree on all kinds of stuff. But we must admit that there is a struggle to get the heart and mind to agree on the things of God. Hello, somebody. Like, I know God want me to do this, says my mind. My heart said, but I don't want to do this. And trying to get these two things to agree, difficult. I want to get to the root as to why this is difficult in hopes that healing and restoration might come so that you will have um, a lighter load when it comes to doing the work of your heart and mind agreeing. Now, when I say a lighter load, I mean a, a, a lighter burden, a lighter yoke. But it will not be, hear me, it will not be an instantaneous work. Okay? Because you, be, you, I did what you said and it didn't work. See, it's, it's still working. All right? All right? This is in hopes that it won't be so difficult to do the labor. Do you understand? You can tend to the garden rather than actually have to work and labor in the garden. Okay? All right? So we're tending. This is to make your load a little lighter, but you will have to do the work. People don't understand that. Nevertheless. So today I want to look at uh, the topic of being healed from rejection. Being healed from rejection. What if I told you that the distance between your heart and mind is increased based off of the amount of rejection you have encountered in your life? Automatically it rings true, doesn't it? I'll say it again so you can see if it, that the distance between the journey between your heart and mind is increased based off of the amount of rejection you've experienced in your life. You can, can everybody, can you now see it? I'll, I'll give you a moment to ponder it in your notes. Uh, do, I, do I have a hard time getting my mind and heart to agree on something because I've experienced rejection in that area? And to the degree that I've experienced rejection, it's to the degree that my heart and mind are really separate. You can walk an inch to get them together or three miles. What determines that? is the amount of rejection you have encountered in your life. Hello? Let's look at Genesis chapter 4. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Then she bore again, this time a brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep. But Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering. But he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. Okay, let's stop right there for just a second. One thing we have to recognize about the book of Genesis because if you noticed, we don't see where God commanded them to bring forth a particular type of offering. You know, typically if I do something wrong, I first need you to tell me what it is that you want. And then I would expect that after that, I should know that it is wrong. One of the things that you have to recognize about the book of Genesis is the book of Genesis was written to the Israeli community, to the Jewish community. All right. It was written, um, oral tradition was then 
penned during the time of uh, Israel's exile into Babylon, which is why you'll see so many similarities between Babylonian traditions as well as uh, the book of Genesis, because they were combating the time that they were in amongst the people that they were around. Okay, I'll say it again. Some of y'all still look. Y'all like, mm -hmm, nope, don't have it. All right. Genesis was, was not written when Moses was alive. It wasn't written when Adam was alive. Although we have studied the genealogy and have found that these stories overlap generations. For example, uh, Noah, uh, uh, Shem was around when Noah was around and Abraham was around when Shem was around. So we all could, they, it's not like you had to tell me something from somebody I never met. They met the individuals to whom they carried the stories forth with. And that is key. But it still does not change the idea that the book itself, the Pentateuch, the first five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, were penned specifically when the children of Israel needed record of all of their traditions because they had been exiled. Okay? So this means that this particular writing was not to give a historical account of all of creation. That's not what it was for. It wasn't to let us know the details of, of, of the creation experience. No, it's not what it's for. It wasn't to tell us, this is why some people are confused, well, who did, who did they marry? Who did, what, what people were, was Cain going to go sleep with? Who, who got married? How did he have people? And we could come up with some hypothesis about this. But ultimately, the book of Genesis was not written as that type of historical account, although there is historicity in it. It was designed to teach very important lessons to an entire nation that they feared might lose the importance of who they are in God. This is, this is good to read it in context, okay? So there are certain things that they didn't feel necessary to actually discuss because it was written for them after they've already received the law of regarding sacrifices. We don't have to tell you first fruits was given because we're writing from a point that first fruits has already given as a rule. And the, the purpose of the story of Adam, Eve, Cain, Abel is not to show forth a histor historical account but it's to remind the people of Israel the importance of their relationship with God, how it looked, and what got off. Now, if you're standing in a place where you're in the middle of being disciplined, right, you have a very keen view to look back and go, you know what? Look at there. We did it there. We did it there. We did it there. We did it there. So the theme is when you disobey God and you don't seek him for wisdom, Dangers, repercussions, and consequences happen. This is the theme of the entire Pentateuch. Okay? And they're saying, since we out here willy-nilly, all right, we don't have a home or a nation to call our own. We need to remember this. We need to remember God, the consequences of it. Remember how he's shown it to us throughout the ages, generation upon generation. And they're writing it down so that they won't get confused by some of the other faiths that they are now inundated with. And some of them, they're petty remarks, if you really study it, to Gilgamesh. And, 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 and there's, some, there's some, so many similarities of the flood uh, story and reaccount is because they were in a place that they're trying to jab at the god of Baal or Ashereth. You know, it's like, yeah, and, you, and he is the god of sun, you know, and it's like, ha ha, you know, it's just, it's in them at that time. Yeah. All right. This is important to recognize hermeneutically about why the book of Genesis was written. So, okay, so, 
So you don't see that Cain uh, and Abel were instructed to give of the first fruits because the purpose of the book of Genesis was not to discuss the historicity of all of the beginning. But it is to show the commonality and the problem that is persisting from generation to generation. Okay? So, what we do know is that Cain knew he did something wrong and Abel knew he did something right. That is what the story is trying to tell you. All right? It's very clear. They knew it. God knew it. Period. The, the readers, the Israeli readers are not questioning this. Like, how did they know? That's, that's not the point. We know they knew. All right? So if we look at this, uh, Cain offered, he was, a, he was a, uh, a tiller of the ground. The same ground that Adam and Eve were, they were thrust out to the ground outside of the garden where everything was lush and beautiful. Now they have to go out here where it's hard, dry, and you have to really just move water over here because it's really, remember, they hadn't seen rain yet. Okay, rain doesn't come until Noah. So there are going to be places where this ground is just hard. Now, I would imagine that if you stayed close to the garden, that there's some moisture there, the runoffs from the rivers, there were four main rivers, that you could kind of stay near these rivers to make your efforts easy. But the further you got away from the garden or the presence of God, the more difficult your attempts of growing crops would have been. Oh, if there would be some kind of universal flood that would just saturate all of the earth that you can continue to be near God's presence no matter where you were, that would be interesting. <laughs> and thus the flood shows the, the dissemination of the spirit of God onto mankind. But we're not, that's not our point for today. All right. So Cain brought forth an offering of the ground, some fruit and some vegetables. And Abel brought forth the first fruit or the firstborn of his flock. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. Let's just take a look at something there for just a second. Yielding an offering to the father can be challenging. Specifically, if you have to offer the first fruits of anything. First fruit offering is a test of faith, obedience, and submission. Because if I give you the firstborn, I have no guarantees what's going to come after. The first fruits of the first harvest means that these are the fruits that first ripened, right? And you can have that. There is no guarantee that what will come in the latter harvest will be good enough or enough at all to sustain the individuals. There's no guarantee that the sheep that will come after the firstborn will be sufficient enough. What if it's a girl? Now you don't have no boy. You need a boy sheep to make baby sheep. Hello, girl sheep can make a ton of, of baby sheep. You only need one male to load somebody to make a ton of, so if, if you come out with a girl sheep, then <laughs> you're limited. And if you keep getting girl sheeps, you're even more limited. And you, with your silly self, have offered your firstborn male sheep to God. 
The idea here is in order to give of your first fruits, you have to really trust God. In order to give your firstborn, you got to really trust him because you don't know what's coming down the pike. I appreciate that y'all acting. Most of you only want to trust God when you can fathom what is coming down the pike. Y'all don't want to help me today. You know, when I can kind of figure out how God could use this, that's when you decide to do it. When it looks like the, the, the sheep is pregnant, that's when. When it looks like the grapes is coming down, you know, it's, it's gonna, I think it's going to be, oh, here you go, Lord. Well, you can wrap your mind around what's going to happen. And you have a hard time moving at all unless you could really see there's some good that's going to come from this. But at the threat of no good thing coming from this, all of your insides turn upside down. I I know you. I know you. So you want to make me live like this for the rest of my life? Is this real living? Is this how life is supposed to be? Oh, my God. Who could even? At the threat. even happy yet. Just the idea that good is not going to come from this. You're undone. Whole hissy fit. Whole pity party. Temper tantrum. I can't. I can't. Forget you. I don't want to be saved. Don't act like you don't have these these thoughts that are generating from very painful places in this heart. So to offer the first fruits and to offer the first, the firstborn is to say, no matter what comes from this, this belongs to you. Good or bad. Historically, to give the first fruits meant that the successor of a particular office, office was yielding something to its predecessor. Historically, it meant that, oh, so you, you were the first one? So my first fruits means that since I am now, you have now given me this new office, I'm going to render to you first fruits. That's historically how first fruit offerings went, all right? Like, so you started this, here go, no, no, thank you. <laughs> no, thank you. No, thank you. No, thank you. Since you put me in charge next, the least I could do is give you the first off the top, yeah. all right? Now, I wonder if that's the case. And God is asking for first fruits, then it would appear as if He's trying to say, You are now the successor in dominion of the earth. Oh, wow. Okay, let's bring it. Let's say you had a, a business, a company, all right? And you grew this bad boy and it was lucrative. And then you said, I want to retire. So you tell your daughter here, Baby, the business is yours. I trained you, I taught you, run it. And she runs it. And she starts making money from it. And you don't get none of it. Whatever you had in your savings account, mama, that's it. I'm not going to give you nothing. I'm not going to tend to you. I'm not going to offer, offer anything to you. What you got before you turned it over to me is what you got. It don't sound like you honor your parent, does it? 
It should be whatever you need. What you want? This all this, this is yours. No, 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 no. You go ahead. No, thank you. No, thank you. This relationship is not happening between God's creation and himself. I made all of this for you. Now you have dominion over it all. You be fruitful. You multiply. You be blessed now. And we go, thanks, deuces, and just acquire, 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 acquire. Oh, 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 oh. Shots fired. Church be in need or whatever. I got bills. I get there when I can. And I mean, if I just put some word on that, since you already gave tithes and offerings, I don't have to retake it. <laughs> the church provides, if you had a good church, provides what you need to be fruitful in every other area of your life. Relationships, business, health, family it provides the sustenance needed based off of the word of God to help you be fruitful in any and every area but when it comes to the one thing he asks you to do is can you just give monetarily to the household of God Ugh, the way my budget is set up I'm sure you want me to be balanced if you're going to be balanced with your tithes and offerings then don't expect that much from the church you want us to do the tutoring, the kids, the adults, the counseling, the therapy, the administration, the preaching, the music. No, remember, we're going to be balanced. <laughs> Pastor, can you teach on finances? Can you teach on health? Can you teach on eating right? Can you help us? Can you hold us accountable on our weight loss? Can you hold us accountable? Balance, remember? So you get all the seed. Then you grow from it, and then you use it for yourself. We don't need your kids. They can be yours. We don't need your family. They can be yours. We barely need your time, because if you give us enough money, we can hire people to do all kinds of stuff. <laughs> Hello? All right, if you give me the money, I'd rather pay the professional, but it's okay, it's okay. You give me $5, I'll use the volunteers. <laughs> A flat. <laughs> Shots fired. All right, nevertheless, let's move on. That wasn't the point, but it was good for me. <laughs> so the idea of bringing the firstborn or the first fruits of anything is to say emphatically, one, it is right to do so. And two, that I am trusting you when I do this. Now, when I say trusting you, immediately you think I am trusting that you will do what I want you to do. That's not what this is about. And here's where we start having problems. Because we have assumed that love and acceptance are the same thing. If I trust you and give you this fruit, and I trust that you will also give me back when I need it, 
I trust that if I do this, God, then you'll do this. I trust if I don't sleep around, then I have a happy marriage. I trust if I don't, if I eat right, then I won't get cancer. I trust that if I do this, you're, you're so, you're, you're trying to say, now I'm, and this is what really blows your mind, because out of nowhere, you be doing the right thing and terrible things happen. Now your brain can't calculate. <laughs> I did everything right. I did. I mean, I know people that we didn't even have sex before we got married. Now we're getting a divorce. What does that have to do with this? The not having sex was obedience unto the father. The quality of your marriage <laughs> is based off of who you picked. You picked that person. Did I? Yes, I was there. <laughs> the quality of your marriage is based off the quality of the individual you picked. That's nothing to do with how obedient you were before you got married. Uh-huh. But your obedience prior to getting married could affect the quality of character you become will thus affect the quality of your marriage. Y'all don't want to help me. That's why I don't marry people that can't stop having sex. I don't you they end up going to somewhere else. You're not gonna marry me? No, y'all still doing to do yes. No, I'm not marrying you. Well, I'm gonna get my cousin to marry us. Okay. <laughs> I put my seal of approval on that. I want a good record for good marriages. Y'all bad character. We love each other, but she's turning each other to hell. I mean, but we, but we do. Mm -mm. Mm -mm, that's bad character. It's real bad character. I, I don't, I don't, I don't know if that's gonna work. But can you just marry us anyway? I said I don't know if it's going to work. I mean, <laughs> if the woman of God is unsure, you definitely need to be unsure. I ain't got no skin in the game. You got tons of skin, literally, in the game. If I don't agree, <laughs> you should be very leery about what you think is gonna work. Skin's in the game. Okay, but God did not have any respect for Cain's offering. You offer something, Cain, but it gets none of my respect. You didn't even you didn't really put anything on the line. You, you, you didn't give me the first fruits. You gave me a mixture of whatever you had once you already recognized that this was going in the way that you could afford to give it to me. I have no, I give that no respect. But somebody says, you know what? I'm going to give you this. That's your only, so it's my only right now, but you know, either way, you deserve it. It's yours. Have it. Oh, I could. No, no, no. Please take. That person gets mad respect. Like, I, I, I'll fool up with you. You legit. Cain desires the type of respect that Abel has, but he did not have the ability to relate to God in the same way. You want God to give you the same respect as the person beside you, your brother, 
but you do not have the same relationship and understanding of God as the person beside you. So thus, everything you do keeps coming up short. Oh, y'all don't want to help me today. Have you ever been in a situation where everything you do for God still ain't quite right? Not by my standard, by your own standard. You know, I really thought it was going to go good. Uh, that didn't go well. I really intended God for today. From now on, I'm going to do this. Uh. And you want, we all want God to respect us. Right? We, we, we want that. I mean, if you if you in the liking folk, like me. If you a God that likes people and enjoys being with people, enjoy me, says every human being. If you created everything and you, you can have favorites, favor me. Blessed and highly favored. That's what you were saying. God, I want you to favor me. Unmerited favor. Ooh, that's what y'all be singing. We say, God, I want to be one of your favorites. You want to be one of God's favorites. Do you really? Because based off of this thing that you just brought, looking a little selfish. You can't be one of my favorites if you don't ride and die. I'm just being honest. I'm just, I'm just gonna put it out there, okay? I feel like people should be loyal to me and I should be loyal to them. And some people are not like this. If I got a problem with somebody and you one of my closest, closest, you got a problem with that person. Now everybody don't roll that way. That's fine. You go to people that roll the way you roll. That, no, if they, if they ain't do nothing to me, I mean, I ain't got a problem with them. That's a whole group of people that live like that. Go over there with them. Me, if I did, if I was done wrong, you was done wrong. We tight. We was done wrong. And if you really know me, I much prefer that you know that I'm not going to cuss out this, this, this wait staff person because I'm a pastor and a Christian, but you better not let, excuse me, ma'am. Excuse me, excuse me, ma'am. The fries is cold. If you're really down there, you know my limitations. But I ain't got them limits. Okay, these fries cold. Now, she, she, she should have to eat cold fries. She ain't going to tell you that, but I'm going to tell you she don't like them cold fries. You want somebody to tell you, like, you know what? Your girlfriend take up for you. You know, I, ain't, I, you know I, I don't really like cold fries, but I feel bad. Hello, somebody. And she know that you feel you don't like them, but you'll accept them. She'll be like, uh-uh, I'll go to bat for you. Baby, don't even worry about it. Give my man some hot fries right now. I have, I have no problems whatsoever. I have no problem being a complete for this one. Okay? Every person wants somebody like that. Don't yeah. they, they, they just kind of go a little bit crazy for you, for, you, for your benefit. No, not for you, to get you, because that's manipulation. But they go a little bit crazy for your benefit. Hello? So God looked at Cain and said, I'm sorry. I mean, that was good and all, but it's a little mixed motivations in here. 
for me or for you? Is it for me or for you? Is it for me or for whatever I think? But Cain desired to be respected for his offering to be as respected as, as Abel's. And then more so, he got angry. The Bible says, furious. And his countenance fell, which means he became despondent at the idea. Now, let's look at the next couple of verses what happened next. So the Lord said to Cain, verse 6, why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door and his desire is for you, but you should rule over it. Stop right there. This verse has troubled me for years and recently got really intense this week as I was studying it from last week to see what we're going to talk about today. First off the top, I assumed that not doing well was a sin. But here, the sin lies at the door, which is coming next. He said, if, he said you didn't do well. See, in my mind, that's the sin. Yeah. According to this scripture, the sin could come later. So I don't know what not doing well means if it's not a sin. <laughs> like, is it iniquity? But still... What does that mean? That's my first problem, is I thought not doing well was sin, but you have made a distinguishment between not doing well and sin. Didn't understand that. The next thing I didn't understand about this verse is that if you do well, will you not be accepted? Stop right there. See, when you say stuff like this, Bible, you make me feel like if I don't do well, I'm not accepted. But every preacher I ever told me, told me that there's nothing you could do that God won't love you. And there's nothing you could do that God will make God love you any less. And there's nothing you could do to make God love you even any more. So now I got a problem with this verse. <laughs> the problem is that I have made love and acceptance the same thing. Let's get into it. <laughs> Some of us believe that if you give enough love and support, love and acceptance to people, and you accept them for who they are, they will strive to be better human beings. That love and acceptance are not just effective, but some of us feel that they're the only antidotes to all relationship problems. That people are inherently good and it is only when they don't feel understood do they act out. In fact, Carl Rogers, a, a very famous psychologist, based his radical idea of unconditional positive regard on this fact, or this belief, or assumption, that people need three things to strive. And these things are love, acceptance, and understanding. So some of us have tried to live our lives and gotten into relationships and even marriages based off the principle that if I accept you and love you, you'll do better. Check, check your records. <laughs> the more I accept you, all you gotta do is you just gotta hear them, understand where they're coming from, and then love and accept them for who they are. 
And you and some of us have gotten into some very narcissistic, toxic, unhealthy relationships because we thought our love and unconditional acceptance of this person would cause them to change. Don't give you a second <laughs> to bring that relationship up to the forefront. I thought if I gave him all he needed, he'd give me all that I needed. <laughs> if I could just understand them and accept them, that this will break that, that wall that they have. They'll finally let me in. They'll let me really, you know, they'll do better. They, they won't hit me no more. They, they, won't, they won't cheat on me anymore. They, they won't talk down to me anymore. That they really, once I really understand what they're really going through and I really love them through it and accept them through it, that this is going to change beast into the beauty. I know y'all be living like this because I've seen some of the people you brought in here. Somehow we've equated that love and acceptance are the same thing. And the story of Cain is revealing very difficultly that love and acceptance are not the same thing. Here, Cain is in essence not being accepted for what he's done. God said, if you would have done good, would you not have been accepted? See, he didn't say, if you would have done good, would your good not have been accepted? If you did something good, then your actions are accepted. He somehow has equated your actions with who you are. Oh, oh, oh brace yourself, children. <laughs> You're in for a deluge here. The thing you don't want to think about, God, is the idea that he associates what you do with who you are. Abel brought forth a good offering. He did good. And now he is accepted. Excuse me. Excuse me, pastors. The theologians say that there's nothing we can do that make God love us. I did not say love. The Bible doesn't say love. The Bible says accepted. Now, what you got to figure out next is the reason of our discussion. It's because when you're not accepted, it is rejection. I did this. You didn't like this. I felt like you rejected me. It's possible. <laughs> you might have a good assertion about that. We don't want to feel this way. Because you can't love me lest you accept me. So now anybody could convince you that if they accept you, then they love you. <laughs> I'm tiptoeing. <laughs> Even Satan himself could convince you that says, I accept you for everything that you are and everything that you are right now, that now this is love. So all you're looking for now is somebody accept me in all of my flaws. Accept me in all of my flaws. 
Can you accept? I accept you and all of your flaws. Your flaws are beautiful for me. You, my flaws are beautiful. Yes, I don't even, don't even bother me that you snore. Your flaws are absolutely beautiful. Babe, I think you got sleep apnea. You need to get checked out. <laughs> you don't accept me for who I am. <laughs> I should. You could die from this. <laughs> now, I'm using sleep apnea as a mild example, but I'm pretty sure you could fathom some other areas where someone has agreed to accept something that could actually kill you. I accept your drug use. I accept your drinking. I accept you, you smoking weed and you ain't got a dime or a house or nothing else. No, no, nothing, no business about yourself. I accept that you want to vacate all the time and you ain't even worked enough to vacate. You just, I accept that you overeat. I accept that you wait, you are morbidly obese. I accept the fact that you don't want to work out. I accept, I accept, I accept, I accept, I accept, I accept. And if you equate that to love, then you could die in somebody else's acceptance. I know, I know I'm preaching because I got folk in this house that thrive on just being accepted. And as long as Satan could convince them that they are accepted, then they will sit there like a frog being boiled to death, slowly turning up the heat and dying the entire time. Just a nice slow death. On crack, getting that hit of acceptance. <laughs> Look at you. Ain't it a play in your mind like love? Huh? So, what happened here? Cain didn't offer a respectable offering. Abel did, and God said he's accepted. So, you trying to say that I'm not accepted? So what is the relationship between acceptance and love? It is clear biblically that you can, in fact, have a difference between love and acceptance. It is seen in your life, right? Two crackheads together, love and accept the fact that they both do crack. And they both on their way to a quick and sudden death. Right? Person, let's say you're not the crackhead, and you, you, you love a crackhead. Should you accept the actions of smoking crack? But you love them. You love, you love them. They can't help if they do crack. You gotta love them even if they do crack. Okay, now off the top, you can feel the truth. I can love you, but my acceptance of what you do is different. Yeah. Off the top, you can say that, right? Now, to the extent that that person's action defines their identity, it's to the extent that you reject them as an individual. To the extent that that person's actions is connected to their identity, 
it's the extent that you reject them. Let me do it. I'm going to do it again. I love you, but I do not accept you smoking crack. Okay? To the extent that that person smoking crack has defined them as an individual, it's to the extent that you have rejected them as an individual. Okay. 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 <laughs> 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 you see? You see? So, for, so in the beginning stages, it's very easy. I love you, but I do not accept this smoking crack. And this really happens in our in homosexual uh, uh, brothers and sisters, okay? Well, Christian brothers and sisters that are homosexuals, this happens all the time. Where your family raised you, you're supposed to be a believer, you're supposed to be a Christian, and they'll be like, oh, I love you, but I can't, I can't deal with that gay stuff. You can't be gay. And, and it feels like they're rejecting you, right? And, then, and, and so then eventually, this, I've seen this with parents and kids all, all over and over and over again. Eventually, the, the parent, at, at the threat of not loving you, has to accept your actions so that they can continue to love you. Hello? They're just like, look, I... It's not worth you feeling unloved. Hello, somebody. So now I have to accept you and how this thing has defined you. But there was a point where each person was not quite sure to what extent I'm really going to be defined by this. And at that point, there's a nice balance between the parents as a believer saying, no, that's not right, but I love you. Now, as this thing perpetuates in the person's life and they begin to c continue in homosexual acts, loves, and relationships, then they become more defined by this. This is who I am. Why can't you just accept that? And to the extent that that is formed in them, this identity based off of this action, is to the extent that whether you accept them or not, they're already involved in it. Do you understand? Let's, let's take it. Let's, that's... That's up here. Let's bring it down to, okay. Acceptance of an individual transforms the person to whom they uh, is doing the accepting. If me and my husband, not that I'm married, but if I ever get one, if me and my husband were, <laughs> the more I accept what he does also means that I have to be transformed myself. Okay? Yes. Now, I accept your snoring. So now I, in order to accept, I have to put in, I have to sleep with headphones on, or I gotta, you know, sleep like this, or I gotta do something else in order for this, me to accept the fact that you're going to snore. Right? Yes. Me accepting of this means that I am also changed. Can we see this? Yes. All right? I just have to accept that you're gonna do whatever you wanna do. You are doing whatever you wanna do. I am the one that is changing. Y'all don't want to help me. I'm trying to help some folks that's dealing with codependency, okay? The idea that if I accept this in you automatically means if, you, if I keep accepting this, I have to do the changing. I have to recognize that you just don't like it cold. I have, you just like it warm, right? You just, I have to accept the fact that you have to accept the blah, 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 blah. And ultimately, the more you accept the actions of the person you love, the more you are changed. Yes? Yes. All right. You can see that very clearly. Yes. Let's do the flip side. The more you accept the actions of the person you love, the more they are left unchanged.
Acceptance, run amok, can be self-limiting. It can fail to appreciate the vast human capacity for growth and transformation. We are all born some way, but demanding that, we, that the world uncritically accept every detail of our perceived innate endowment ignores the fact that the capacity for change is an integral part of that endowment. We are all born capable of being far more uh, that we are, were initially and presently are. That comes from the psychology journal. Human beings are born with the innate ability to be far more than what they presently are. If I accept this thing that you are doing, I am also negating your ability to be transformed and to change. And this is your human ability. But for the rest of the world to say, we have to accept all of your flaws without criticism. No judgment here. No, judge. That is bad fruit. Judge. That is... Judge, crack and destroy your life. Judge it, judge it, <laughs> judge it. No, I can't. Who, who am I to say? What? You, you, are, you are a human being to say. <laughs> now we're going to be schizophrenic. We all live in an alternative reality. Crack is whack. Okay. What is it? Yes. But this is what we try to do with the world. The entire world needs to kind of look at this skew to say that it's not as bad as it really is. So that means everybody else needs to change so that you can remain the same. But you remaining the same is also dehumanizing you. It's removing one of the basic human traits of transformation and growth. Hello? I like to think in my line of work that love is needed, acceptance is needed, understanding is needed, but there's a fourth factor that makes this thing really, <laughs> really solid. Hello? Really, it, it, no, not just truth, conflict. Love, acceptance, understanding, and my lovely recipe of conflict. Conflict puts love, acceptance, and understanding in proper perspective. And it is the engine that drives the transformation of the individual rather than the transformation of the self. Y'all don't, don't want to help me preach today. Hello? Oh, we're going we gonna to fuss about this. Why are you fussing? Because this is the, see, if we don't fuss, then I can't truly accept and love you. And if I do accept and love you with this, then I have to be transformed into something that the Bible tells me to disagree with. So thus we have to have this conflict that you might be transformed because you don't want to be transformed any other way. So thus here comes the fourth component of conflict. Why we always got to fight? Because you was hard headed. Because you were stubborn. Because you don't want to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Oh, no. You want to keep doing what you want to keep doing and want me to change what the Bible say and want me to change what the words say. I can't do that. I can't. So what we have now is conflict. 
I don't know if you notice this, but I'm really good at it. I got so many moves for conflict. I got the smooth moves. I got the aggressive moves. I got the endurance. I mean, I'm a good fighter. I just say I'm a lover, not a fighter. Now I realize I'm both. I will love you unconditionally, and I will fight you relentlessly. Because this produces Trans your transformation. Do you really want a leader that transforms every time somebody else needs something? No. Oh, I don't want you to go, so I guess it's okay. I don't want you to leave the church, so it's fine. You could just, just be gay and stay here. Oh, I don't want you to I don't want you to be mad at me, so I just won't say nothing. Oh, I don't see nobody respects that kind of leader, nor can that leader lead. If you if you try to lead like that, everybody else is gonna be a leader. And thus when everybody else becomes a leader, nobody's going anywhere. So who's supposed to be transformed? You or them? And this is where truth comes in. Is there a standard? Is there something we both can agree to that is a rule, a law? So whoever finds themselves on the opposite side of that law is the one that needs the transformation. It's not my preference, it's a law. When it comes to relationships, the more you accept an individual, all right? I, I, I don't know how to love, this is the thing, because we often think that either you love me or you don't. See, see, I knew you, I knew you, I knew you. either you love me or you don't. Love is not like a yes or no. Love is not like left or right. Love is not, on this line I love you, on this line I hate you. Love has depth to it. And it's best that you think of love in terms of depth. Hello, somebody. All right. So, yes, I love you, right, to this depth. The more I accept your flaws, hello, is the more intimate we become. Okay. The acceptance of you brings forth more intimacy. That's why in order to have sex, you have to get naked. Most times. And if you don't, then you really don't feel that that was intimate. That was something else. <laughs> Thank you. It's not making love. It was something else. If it, if it was making love, then, then we both expose ourselves. Turn the light on. Let me see everything. And show you that I accept all of this. This automatically gives you a level of intimacy. Hello? Right? Problem with sex is that sometimes you get this level of intimacy that is just covering up the fact that you really don't have any true intimacy. That wasn't what he, that wasn't why he made sex. It was supposed to experience a oneness, an acceptance of individuals a push to change, of conflict, of love, understanding. There was supposed to be that kind of depth, right? But instead, I just need, I need to get some. Or I know it's not real love, but it feels like it. This makes your love shallow. Roots don't, that don't run deep. Divorce and breakup is inevitable because the storms will blow and your tree will be uprooted. Hello? 
Hello, somebody. Love has to have depth. Now, there's a point where you could say, that is love. And most of us always know when something is deep. Can you stand in it? Yeah, then it ain't deep. It ain't really deep until I can't feel the bottom. That's when the ocean is deep, the pool is deep. And for some people, it's too deep for them to even, I can't, I can't feel the bottom, I can't. <laughs> At this level of love, where you no longer have any control, that you have to succumb to being transformed by this person. That's what marriage says. Our love is so deep that I am trusting that as we swim out here in this deep together, we're just going to be transformed by whatever you bring. You're going to change me. I'm going to change you. Hopefully, we all will look good when this is all over. No, y'all got together, and now you both smoke crack. Now you're both drinking again. Now you're both smoking weed again. Now you That was stupid. That was a bad pick. You decided to love and accept and grow intimately in, with depth with someone that was bad for you. And you didn't mind them transforming you all the way through. Now your pastor could barely recognize who? That ain't, that ain't you. That ain't like you. That is. And I already know you done did the do. Yeah, they look at you. Looking all like them. Sounding all like them. Look, y'all even get mad at the same stuff. You two have become one. You can lie or you won't. Come on. <laughs> you don't even look like an individual anymore. Which is the purpose of marriage. That you're tugging and pulling on each other in this depthness of love and intimacy. This, inti that, this acceptance that drove it to deep levels. You both are just floating out here in the deep. Till death do us part each one changing, each one compromising, each one yielding to, each one submitting one to another. If I'm going to do that with somebody, it better be a really great pick. I got standards? Because you ain't going to be mashing me all around. I got to shut my church door down in order to get with you. <laughs> I'm good. Thanks. That's what you say. Go find you somebody that don't mind. They don't have nothing on the line. They don't have any word of God to stand on. Right? They're not firm in their belief, firm in their foundation. So they don't mind being mushed around. You love me? Okay. We're going to get married one day? Okay. <laughs> no. But I promise. All right, we'll see. Well, can't you give me a little taste? No. Since you promised, wait for that. Oh, you want me to give. You want me to change. Do you understand what I'm saying? Your acceptance of that person could drive you to the depths of love, but it could also drive you to death and the change of who you are and somebody you were never supposed to be. And it's nothing like a good parent to tell you, hey, that's not for you. A good parent that knows you, knows your potential, what they really say is, I know your ability to transform. You are stronger than this. 
you are better than this. You are more capable. And a parent will speak that. No, uh-uh, uh-uh, uh-uh. Don't you let them change you. Well, everybody's got to change a little bit in order to. <laughs> see, 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 see how I spit it back to you? See how? <laughs> yes, everybody does, but you're getting ready to change in a way that I know for a fact is not best for you. How you know? Because I'm your parent. Before you got caught up in this, I knew who you really wanted to be. What goals you really had. Not just one time you said, I've seen it in your life for years. You need that anchor. You need that anchor. Something to hold you fast. Come on, y'all don't want to help me. Something to hold you fast because when everybody else try to get you to transform in order to accept them, you're like, uh-uh, this is as deep as my love is going to go for you. Come on, go deeper. Uh-uh, uh-uh, uh-uh. I don't know if you're worth that much transformation. You about to put hands on me and mold me and shape me in ways that people that really know me get to do. And I don't know if you pass the test. Well, what's the test? Go meet my pest. <laughs> Let them lay eyes on you. It don't matter. I mean, I could say no. They'd be like, I'm still going to get with you. Oh, well. <laughs> Happens all the time. And then when they're no longer with that person. <laughs> I know you. <laughs> Hello? It's the truth. <laughs> like, how pastor? What pastor? Look, look, look. Pastor. Pastor now. Now, he the one pastor. Now, the pastor. Now, I know I said this before, but this one, he the one. Hmm. Hello? All right, let's move on. I'm way over there. But truly, if we accept, acceptance could be self-limiting. Acceptance run amok. I, I remember I had a couple come to me. And he said, Pastor, I want a woman that will accept me for who I am. I said, you are a fool. You don't even like where you are right now. You don't even like this version of you. Which means you can feel in yourself, man of God, that you have an innate desire to be transformed and to be something greater of a priestly anointing, something greater and more purposeful of God, something more honorable and more noble. You can feel that you have this desire to pair up with somebody that accepts you at this level. I already know she ain't the one. She the miss right now. Hello? And then I had to tell the girl, good that you don't accept him right now. I don't even like that. Good. Good. Don't like it. You don't like it. I don't know if I could be with somebody that do that. Good. Meanwhile, he over there transforming on his own. And you're not the miss right now. Hello, somebody. He has an opportunity to better himself. To become what God wants him to be. I'm like, you know what? Bump this, man. I don't need no girl. I'm going to do this myself. I'm just, me and God, we're going to do that. I, I see you, man. Okay? And then she over there. Well, you know what? I just have to have high standards because I just can't deal with that. Mm, and you're not Miss Right Now. Hello? Could it be that one day that he will grow and mature into a, a version of himself that he actually likes? 
And this confidence began to exude from him. Meanwhile, she over here going, something different about you. Yeah. And then the Mrs. Right now becomes Mrs. Right when he has become what he needs to be. This is how acceptance can run amok. I accept you. Don't set me for this. No. Whatever you want to do. Do whatever I want to do. You even see my potential? Do you even see what I'm capable of doing? Well, you ain't got to do all that for me. What? See, I can't stand when a man tell me that. You ain't got to do all that for me. What? I ain't got to do all that. This is my best work. Do you understand what I'm saying? <laughs> I'm, I'm putting on my A game right here. This is the best I got. You ain't got to do it all for me. You should want me to do all this for you. This is my A game. You want me to get my A game with somebody else? Level me up. Drive me. Tug and pull, shape and mold in a way that God is pleased in my life. Don't accept me here. I'm a terrible version of myself right now. And some of y'all decide to get in marriages and relationships at that level with somebody who is not really sure if they have the ability to help you get to where you're supposed to go. And when they don't have that ability, you have nothing but chaos, conflict, or arguments. And not in a good way. Somebody's going to pull back. I can't tell you my dreams. I can't tell you my hopes. I can't tell you what I'm working on. I can't tell you where I'm going. I can't tell you what I'm doing. See? See all that? Lack of intimacy. The Lord said, Cain, why are you angry? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door. And its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. Stop right there. Cain did not do well. But somehow, this was not looked at as sin. I want to draw your attention to the idea that Cain is somehow in a place with God. Yes? And that there's a door, and outside of that door, outside of this place that he is with God, in Christ, there is no sin. Y'all don't want to help me preach the, the New Testament. It's not I that sin, says Paul, but it's my flesh. In this place with God, hello, somebody, it's not counted as sin in Christ. When I step outside this door, y'all don't want to help me. Right now, it's counted as I didn't do well. Right? Cain offered something, but it wasn't, wasn't well. Right? You tried, but you didn't do well. I tell people all the time, listen, I'll be with you as long as you're struggling. Struggle on, baby. Pastor, I tried, I failed. I've tried, I failed. I tried, I did it again. That don't bother me at all. Lying, that'll get you kicked out. Being disrespectful, that'll get you kicked out. But as long as you're open about transparent, we can have an intimate pastoral relationship, and I don't mean sexual, I mean you don't mind showing me what you got going on, that I might be a better assistant, right? As long as we're doing this, I'm with you, loyal, to the day you die or I die. Hello? To the grave. I don't want you to struggle your whole life, but even if you did, you won't ever have to do it alone. That, that's the promise. This works in the house. You can struggle in the house. Hello? But please know that there's something uniquely different when you step outside of these walls. Cain was in a place with the presence of God, 
And God was trying to explain to him, Cain, if you do well, you will be accepted. If you don't do well, sin lies at the door. Now, I always read this and thought, but don't go out the door. What I ain't going to do, I ain't going to go out that door. (laughs) I thought, I read this to think, that the best way to avoid that sin is by not going out there. So I'll just stay right here with my I didn't do well. But you remember that fourth component of conflict that I added? If you stay here, not even that it's possible, with not doing well, then you can't be transformed. And I don't even know if it's possible that you could stay in the presence of God at the condition of not doing well. Let me show you why. Because the Cain and Abel story is a continued uh, redundancy of Adam and Eve, all right? It just replays the Adam and Eve scenario again as a next generation. When Adam and Eve fell and ate of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, they were kicked out of the garden, right? If that's the case, and Cain and Abel just reflects more of that story, right? Then it's no way that Cain could stay in the presence of God. Not in that space. Right? So you got to go out there. See, this blew my mind. Now that you didn't do well, the option to stay here and not do well is not given to you. Now you have to go out. What? Cain immediately is unaware of this. And sin, the Bible says, is lying to catch you at the door. In the house of God, you just didn't do well. That's not good, son. What do I do? You have to go out there. What? You have to go out there and be careful. Sin wants you. What? Sin. She wants you. She's crouching really low. She wants to jump and attack you and make you hers. But I desire that you rule over it, that you master sin. Cain gave no thought to this conversation. No thought. If you just think about, you want me to master sin, I want you to master sin. See, in me, what you did was not right. The only way to stop this is that you have to master it. So now we're gonna go on a new journey want to help me now now the the journey has shifted and you are unaware that there's a shifting in your journey you still think you can operate the same way you did before you recognize your propensity to sin I just God forgive it I just forget it and just move on oh (laughs) baby training has to happen because we have to teach you how to master sin y'all don't want to help me today no you can't master sin in the house of God Mm -mm. (laughs) no You can master obedience in the house of God. You can master patience in the house of God. You can master all the fruit of the spirit in the house of God, but you cannot learn to master sin in the house of God. The training has to shift. Get out of the garden. Mm -mm. Rightfully so, you didn't didn't appreciate what you had. 
So you're rejecting me? It would appear so. It would appear as if I am rejecting you. Now let's read the story a little bit further. It, it don't, it don't that look like rejection? Yeah. You kicking me out? You kicking me out of the house? You said something out there to get me. Why you want me to go? Good question. So you don't love me? Love has depth. The issue is not whether God loves you with the greatest of depths. The issue is that you have not learned to love him at the level that he desires. You don't want to come out to where he is in the deep. Hello? So no, we, what we have to learn right now can't be done in the kiddie pool. It can't be done where you feel comfortable and safe. Now it's going to be done at a place where I'm telling you there's something out to get you. You're going to be hunted. By who? By sin. What? You are going to be hunted by sin. Get out there. It feels like rejection. But let's look at the love of God. Why are you angry, Cain? Now Cain talked with his brother Abel, and it came to pass when they in the field that Cain rose up against his brother and killed him. They talked, and Cain laid in wait for Abel and then killed him. The sin that Satan convinces you to do is a sin that he tries to multiply in you. Sin laid in wait for Cain, then Cain laid in wait for Abel. So when God said sin desires you, like a husband would desire a wife, or somebody would desire a mate, is he wants to be reproduced in you. And apparently it worked because as sin laid low to get Cain, Cain laid low to kill his brother Abel. The sin, you should be very mindful of this, the sin that Satan gets you to do is the sin he wants to replicate in you. He wants to have lots of sin babies with you. He desires you. Sin, she desires you. Lawlessness, the Bible says, produces what? It gives birth to more lawlessness. What do you think this is? What, you, what do you want to Look, hate the player, not the game. This is the game. I thought you understood. You let me in, I'm making babies. Are you overwhelmed by the sin in your life? What did you think this relationship was about? I don't understand why I just can't. Because sin produces sin. Crack produces crack heads. Homosexual love produces homosexuality. It just it breeds it. Hello? Amen. Promiscuity creates thoughtness. I don't know what you want. What you want. <laughs> Just Cain lay with his brother and said that Abel, then the Lord said to Cain, oh. yeah, Cain killed his brother Abel. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? Am I responsible for him? And he said, I, he said, what have you done? 
The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So now you are cursed from the earth, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. A fugitive and a vagabond, you shall be on the earth. And Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Surely you have driven me out this day from the face of the ground. I shall be hidden from your face. I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond on the earth. And it will happen that anyone who finds me will kill me. And the Lord said to him, therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark on Cain, lest anyone finding him should kill him. Later, Cain's grandchild killed two men and had the audacity to think since God gave retribution to Cain sevenfold, he'll give it to me seventyfold. Again, perpetuation of sin. But let's go back to this story. God marked Cain so that he wouldn't be killed. What? It would seem to me, you killed your brother, you get what you get. But that's not what, what God did. He did an act of saving Cain from death. Why would you mark Cain? To put your mark on someone is to signify, especially for a king, that you belong to me. Y'all don't want to help me today. It feels like rejection, but God actually put a mark on you to claim that you belong to him. Y'all don't want to help me. In reality, up here in the mind, you've been marked by God. And the emotions, you feel rejected. Hello, somebody. Now, the space between I am chosen by God and rejected by God is as vast as you are adhering to your actions and your own desire. How much you want what you want is how long that track of distance will be between what God set you apart for, hello, somebody, and the current rejection that you feel. So God marked Cain. Said nobody can hurt him, nobody can touch him, right? Why spare his life? Why keep him alive? God said, you got to go, go. And the, the earth will, will no longer yield itself to you. What? All I had was my ability to till the ground. Yes. And you offered me very poor sacrifices of that. So now I'm going to remove your ability to till the ground. You're going to remove my ability to till the ground. How will I survive? You're kicking me out of here. I'm going to be a wanderer. I can't even grow my own food. What's going to become of me? People are just going to try to kill me. I have nothing to offer the world. I have nothing to sustain myself with. Y'all don't want to help me. You gave me the ability to till the ground, and I messed up, and now you take even that away from me. How will I survive? Hello? <sighs> Later we find that Cain has babies. His babies become the leaders of great industries, all right? Huge, all right? And Cain decides to build a city for his son, Seth. Cain does not become a wanderer. Instead, he finds a place to dwell, lives in a city, sets up camp, and then proceeds to build even bigger cities for his children. 
Now, I hear in this the cry of many a black man. My childhood, I'm going to make sure my kids never have to go through what I went through. And so rather than focusing your eyes on God, because of your childhood, you focus your eyes on provision, you focus your eyes on establishing something in the earth, you focus on establishing a legacy in the earth, all these things right here on the earth, not recognizing that the reason your childhood was the way that it was is that God was trying to work something out of you. Can you imagine what would have happened if Cain did not find a place to dwell? If he didn't just build, start building for himself cities. If he would have just been a wanderer, can't till the ground every time, no food come from it. He's just got to wander around waiting and hoping for somebody to give him food. Sounds familiar. It sounds to me what a shepherd is like. It sounds to me what Israel was supposed to be. It sounds to me how God goes out into the wilderness. It sounds to me that the cure for rejection, y'all don't want to help me, is not that you come all the more into God, is that you go out with God. Y'all don't want to help me today. I can't get nobody to help me preach the text. All of Israel's life was about them becoming wanderers in order to know God. Out in the wilderness, see his hand of provision. Out here, see his manna. Out here, see his water from the rock. Out here, in this place where you are uncomfortable and you are no longer allowed to provide for yourself is when you really get to know who God is. The problem with sin is that it's ultimately a lack of trust with God. When sin lies at Cain's door, what's really lying at his door is essentially man's failure to trust God an act or state of unbelief, an assertion of autonomy. True religion consists of communion with God based on trust and issuing into obedience. Cain's biggest problem, what he offered to God, was that he also offered something that made sure it provided for him too. This was the beginning of his autonomy. Hello? When you offer your first fruits, you're saying, I am solely dependent on you. If you don't make this latter harvest good, I won't have nothing to eat. If you don't make the sheep come out with more boys, I won't have any more lambs. If you don't do it, I am completely dependent on you. So you give me dominion, I tell you that it's only based off of what you do. For me, for you. The cure to Cain's rejection of not doing well is not accepting it. But we're going to add that fourth component of conflict. Now you got to be out here begging for food. Maybe God could do manna from heaven. Maybe you got to ask for rides. Maybe you, you're looking all down bad. And all the time you're down bad, you're seeing God provide. So the same God that you did not trust to take care of you you're now put in a position where that's all you can trust. In this is the story of Israel over and over and over again, of God trying to show them himself that they might be completely free 
to serve freely, to go to the depths of intimacy where deep calls unto deep, to really get in there with God and feel free and wonderful, being transformed by the renewing of their minds, changed over and over and over again to be more of what God wanted. This, this was a good plan. But similar to Cain, it's true of the story of the children of Israel. They had a hard time just depending on God. Hard time just resting in whatever God wanted. They struggled with their own autonomy, their desire to have for yourself, take care of yourself, provide for yourself, understand things for yourself. They struggled with that. And God said, the only reason you're struggling is because you really don't know me. So the plan here is that I'm going to reject this acceptance, but I'm also going to go with you. I'm going to come out here with you because I'm not confined to this space. And I'm going to teach you how to overcome sin. Going back to the definition of sin, a lack of trust and unbelief. I'm going to teach you how to no longer disbelieve or unbelieve or to no longer not trust me. And the best way to teach you how not to trust me is to constantly give you examples where I can be trusted. Conflict. Now you're hungry. Go hit that rock. Oh, it's water. I got you. That's how I am. That's how I roll. We ain't got no food. Manna. I got you. What was the sin for the manna? If you keep some for the next day trying to provide for yourself, it will rot and you'll be diseased and you'll be cursed. Again, this is not about you providing for yourself. This is not about you trying to figure things out for yourself. This is not about you trying to be independent and autonomous. This lesson, my dear child, is about you making sure you can master sin. And sin is mastered best when you trust me fully. Doing bad is not the issue. Not learning how to trust God is. So God implements the last and final thing standing all over the house, which is conflict. 